Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you for that. In our world today, there are many things that are morally, that used to be morally black and white, but are now different shades of, of moral gray. Uh, the moral gradation of the world we've gone through over the past several years is something that they'll be writing about in history books and how uh, things that used to be black and white are now gray. But there is one thing for certain, no matter what side of the political spectrum that you stand on, no matter uh, if you're a Christian or atheist, religious, irreligious, or you're secular, or if you're someone who's at church every single Sunday, uh, there's one thing that we all agree is still something that is morally black, something that is morally one color or the other. It is not what we want, and that is hypocrisy. We all feel it deep in our bones that hypocrisy is something that is to be shunned, that is to be rejected, that is to be criticized. Yet at the same time, I don't know a group that has been accused of being hypocrites more than Christians. We face this each and every day, where the world around us thinks that we are gathering together as not a collection of Christ's people, but a collection of hypocrites. They walk by our doors and they say, those hypocrites are there. If you had no exposure to Christianity, and someone asked you who the people that Jesus criticized the most often were, the people that you would think he would criticize the most often would be those who are morally repugnant, the obvious sinners the ones who are crooks, the ones who are stealing from other people. Obviously, he'd be criticizing the murderers and the thieves, the robbers. Obviously, he'd be criticizing the, the sexually immoral and the unclean, those who can't get their act together. But friends, if you've read the scriptures, you'll see that Jesus not only fails to criticize that group often, he seems to have an affinity for sinners. And the group that he criticizes the most often are the religious leaders, are the ones who say they have their lives figured out, who say they're following the scriptures, but yet their actions speak louder than their words. Jesus himself is the master, the master critic of hypocrisy. There's nothing that would turn someone off to Christianity quite as quickly as hypocrisy. And in fact, James recognizes this. He teaches on this often. Two weeks ago, we learned a word that, that James made up 
James invented a word, so as, as best we can understand, he invented the word. The first time that it appears in all of ancient literature is right here in this letter that James is writing, and it's the word dipsychos, which is not that hard to break down. It, die meaning two, psychos meaning sold. And so what he says is that there's a way of living that is two sold where you say one thing and you do another thing. It's like you have multiple personality disorder of the soul, where there's two people living inside of you. And he calls us to not live a two-minded way of Christianity, a double-souled way of Christianity, but he calls us to a whole-hearted following of Christ. This week, James goes another step, and he teaches us that, hey, if you're going to win anyone to your message of the gospel, if you're going to be true to what Jesus had to teach you, church, if you're going to follow after him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you need to learn how to not just be a hearer of the word, but to be a doer of the word. James gives us multiple different ways to fight hypocrisy, because the reality is, if so many people can think that Christians are hypocrites, that it must be actually more easy to be a hypocrite than what we might think. Hypocrisy is almost the default mode of the human soul. We oftentimes know the right thing, say the right thing, yet do the thing that we wish we did not do. And James today gives us four ways to fight hypocrisy in our own lives. As we walk through this text, I just want us to observe four different ways that we avoid hypocrisy in our life. And the first way is this. If you want to avoid hypocrisy, you must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When I was looking at this passage, uh, the first thing I do when I'm preparing a sermon is I just sit down with my Bible and I read the passage several times over. And then I sit down with my journal and I write what the Lord's doing in my own heart as I read this passage. And as I, as I sat down to write my initial impressions of the entire passage, I zoomed in on verse 19. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And I wrote, does this apply to me with my kids? Because I'm in trouble if it does. You know, we always are finding exceptions to the wisdom. And James has been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. But friends, it's not a proverb if there's more exceptions to the rule than actual rule following in our lives. Sometimes we don't know how wise someone is by the brilliance of what they have to say, but sometimes we know how wise someone is by when they know when to, by, when, by how they stop talking, by when they know how to stop talking and when to stop talking. And sometimes that is when we have the wisdom. That is when we find the wisdom. Um, the book of James uh, Proverbs of the New Testament, this verse is an example of that. This verse sounds so much like one of the Proverbs. Uh, as you look at the Proverbs, there are several that sound a lot like this. Proverbs 17, verse 27 and 28. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Uh, 
Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. Proverbs 10, 19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. James says that we must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This is basically the anti-Twitter verse of the Bible. If you want to know how to, to live a moral and upright life, a wise life, go on Twitter, spend about an hour on Twitter, and then do the opposite of everything you see on there. Because on Twitter, we are slow to hear, fast to speak, and easy to anger. And we see it over and over again. Here, with this little bit of wisdom, James is teaching us how to have an intelligent conversation with another human being. Have you ever had a conversation where someone is slow to hear, quick to speak, and easy to anger? It doesn't make for a very easy conversation. Where are you easy to anger? What buttons are in your life? And with those buttons, our anger generally tells us what's important to us. And so as you see those buttons in your own life, evaluate what you might not be able to see in your own heart and in your life. What might be more important to you than what you realize. Here at City on a Hill Somerville, one of our values, something that we value highly, is being a multi-ethnic church. And I will tell you this, that over the past four years, churches that were multi-ethnic have become less multi-ethnic. And that's because the cultural discourse had, and the opposite of this phrase, slow to, slow to anger, slow to speak, and quick to hear, has run rampant everywhere. We, we are not a people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Instead, we get angry at everything. And I think that if we want to have a multicultural church, multi-ethnic church, we want to be a church where we understand and love one another, then this has to be a guiding principle for our church. If we want to be a multi-ethnic church with people from different backgrounds, we must be willing to hear people that disagree with us or who have a different experience than us and not allow that to send us immediately into a spiral of anger and vitriol. We have to be a church that values other people more than values being right or having the right opinion. We have to be a church that cares. And James is telling us that if we don't want to be hypocrites, you need to listen to one another and value what they say, even if you are sure that they are wrong. If you are confident that the other person is wrong, you will not win the argument. If you do not hear them, if you do not make yourself slow to anger and slow to speak. If we want to have safety and time in our relationships, you can't do that without being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Hypocrites have this in common. They don't listen to anyone. They think they're right all the time, which means that they're slow to hear quick to speak, and quick to anger. Evaluate your own heart, and where is your heart quick to anger? 
And on those topics, you need to trust Christ and have a little sanctification so that you cannot, so that you will not continue to fall prey to those desires running rampant. Point two, if you want to avoid hypocrisy, the first thing was you have to be uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The second one is, if you want to avoid hypocrisy, you must obey the word with a whole heart. So last week, we talked about the passage right before this one. We were just walking through the book of James right now. And we talked about how James says that when we're tempted, each one of us is, is not necessarily, we can't say that God is tempting us, but instead we're being lured and enticed. We're being dragged away by our own desires. It's like the, the bait has been set, and we've taken a bite of the lure, and now we're being dragged away. And who's holding the fishing pole but ourselves? Our own desires are dragging us away. And we learn that though our desires drag us away, God woos us back to himself by his word. He speaks his word and it brings us back to himself. And now James is teaching us how we must live when we've been brought forth by the word of truth. Our lives must be changed as God has saved us. Verse 21, he says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with, wicked, with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. A hypocrite is someone who says that they follow Jesus, and yet their lives do not indicate that they follow after Jesus. They continue to live as though they don't care what he says. And that's what James is addressing right here. He's saying you, your life must reflect your new faith in Christ. Now, James uses language that is stronger than what I usually use and what I like to use. He says that if you're following after Christ, what you must do is put off the filthiness and rampant wickedness in your own life. Now, why does he use that language? I think it's because he's talking, he, he's already explained to us the nature of sin. Now, sin in its very essence, is not necessarily just doing the wrong things. Sin is desiring good things too much and allowing your desires to carry you away into temptation, which, given more time, turns into sin, which, given more time, turns into death. And so what he's talking about with our filthiness and our rampant wickedness is not necessarily just doing the wrong things, but it's desiring good things and letting them carry your heart away to where you're do willing to do more and more questionable activity. It's always a slow descent into sin and almost never a fast break into it. Now, we all know that some of us, though, we will run toward those things. And this is something that we all need to hear, and especially some of those who have been running from Christ. But he uses this language of put away your filthiness or your rampant wickedness. He says that your worldly desires for influence or success or money or beauty or whatever have led your life to all filthiness and rampant wickedness. This is strong because we like to think of ourselves not as people with filthiness and rampant wickedness, but we like to think of ourselves as basically good people who just need a little bit of help. But friends, the good news of the gospel is not 
Jesus came for basically good people who just needed a little bit of help. If that were the truth, Christ would not have to have died for you. He would have just had to, you know, give you a little pat on the back tell you you can do it. But Christ came, and on the cross, he bore the weight of our sins, the full filthiness, the full rampant wickedness, the full outcome of desires that have been disordered, leading to sin after sin after sin. The ugliness in our hearts that we hide and that we don't want others to see, Christ bore those. And we know from the great display of his love and the great propitiation of our sins that our sins are great because our Savior is great. And now James is telling us to put off the filthiness and the rampant wickedness that lives within us. When I tell my kids to put away their room, they go and they don't necessarily put it all back in order. They just go and hide the filth and the, and the wickedness that they've gotten into up there. And when we read this, put away the, the filthiness, the rampant wickedness, we might think about it the same way. Let me hide these things. But no, the word for put away here is the word for take off. It's like you're taking off an article of clothing. Except for with this article of clothing, normally our clothing is dirty on the outside. This one is dirty on the inside. And what James is telling us is if you follow Christ now, you have to take off that old self and to put on the new self, which is found cleansed in Christ. How do you take off your sinfulness, though? How do you do this? It sounds like moralism. It sounds like religion if it's just, hey, be a better person. Take off the old self, put on the new self. But no, he actually gives us a next step. And he says this, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Friends, the only way that you're going to be able to take off the old desires that have led you to what he describes as filthiness and rampant wickedness is by receiving this good news, this new word of Christ. Every time we're, we're told to take something off in the New Testament, we're told to put something else on. And here's the better way of living, is it's allowing the word of God to change you. We're not simply changed by trying to be better people or do the right thing, but we must allow the word of God to change us. Biblical knowledge, though, is not the same thing as biblical application. I know a lot of people with master's degrees in theology and Bible interpretation who are jerks, who are hypocrites. I know a lot of them, and my Facebook feed is full of them. Sorry, friends, if you're watching on Zoom. I can be one of them. Because there's one thing to have head knowledge, but what he's saying here is receive the implanted word. It gives you this idea of not just read the word, not just hear the word, but it's receive the word. You have to come face to face with the point of the passage, which brings you face to face with the person of Christ. We have to allow the Bible to penetrate our heart and implant itself into our desires. And we have to become people of the word, guided and led by him. The third way that we avoid hypocrisy is we must obey the whole word. If you want to avoid hypocrisy, you must obey the whole word. When people accuse Christians of being hypocrites, uh, this is usually one of the first things that they say. They say, well, Christians pick and choose. 
what they believe in the Bible. And that means you're a hypocrite. You, know, you say you believe the Bible, but the Bible has some crazy things in it. Have you read the Old Testament? You say you believe the Bible, and the Bible tells you not to eat shellfish, and you're over there having uh, a lobster sa sandwich, a lobster roll. The Bible tells you that you can't wear fabrics woven of two different materials, yet you're preaching in a polyester suit. You can't take the Bible that seriously. And in fact, the Bible teaches all kinds of things that you wouldn't necessarily endorse. The Bible teaches polygamy. The Bible teaches slavery. What do you do with those things? See, you're a hypocrite if you believe the Bible, but yet you're not doing hardly anything that the Bible tells you to do. This is something that you hear from non-Christians all the time, this accusation of hypocrisy, because we don't obey the whole word. James himself says, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. And then in verse 25, he calls the law perfect. So what does that mean? Should we all stop eating shellfish and only wear cotton clothes and make radical changes to our lives in that way? I don't think so, because I think that what is happening here, oftentimes, well, before I go there, when, when, you, when someone makes these sort of comments to you, what you cannot say is this. You cannot say, well, I don't believe those parts. Because you might be a red-letter Christian, which are the words that Jesus, some Bibles, the words that Jesus spoke are in red letters. And so you might describe yourself as a red-letter Christian. Hey, I'd rather have a red-letter Christian than not a Christian at all. But the very words there of Jesus reflect that he was not a red-letter Christian, but Jesus believed in the entire Old Testament. And so Jesus himself is not a red-letter Christian. We can't just pick and choose what we believe out of the Bible. What do you do with those parts of the Bible that command things that we obviously don't follow anymore? What, what you do is you have to do the hard work that we call hermeneutics. It's the interpretation of Scripture. You have to look at the Scripture and allow the Scripture to be interpreted. Jesus taught on these things. The book of Hebrews teaches on these things. The laws of shellfish, we don't follow the laws of cleanliness anymore because Christ has made us clean. We don't have to get cleaned up to go to the temple anymore. We don't have to cleanse ourselves and go through all the ritual atonements and whatnot because Christ has done that once and for all. And so now we just have full access to God. We don't have to go through ceremonial cleanliness procedures. So we don't have to worry about the clothes of different things. Jesus told Peter that it's okay, told Paul, uh, Peter, that it's okay to eat of uh, hooved animals. We can eat. The, the, the cleanliness laws for what we eat have been changed. So when you read the New Testament, it gives light to what happened in the Old Testament. Don't Anybody who makes those types of charges don't, doesn't understand who Jesus is or what Christianity is about. Also in the Bible, when it talks about slavery and polygamy, those things are never endorsed in the Scriptures, but they certainly happened. And so the Bible is a real document that gives us description sometimes and not prescription. It's not saying, hey, because David had many wives, you should go have many wives. A guy that I went to seminary with is causing up a lot of stir is stirring up a lot of, I don't know why he's doing this actually, but he's like posting on Facebook all the time about how polygamy is endorsed by the Bible and how he thinks it should be legal again. I'm like, you're not going to win anybody to this argument. Uh, you're just wanting to argue with people. Uh, so I have refused to, you know, quick to hear, slow to speak, that whole thing. Um, 
It's not endorsed, but it is descriptive of what happened. And so as you come to the Bible, you have to interpret it. You have to understand it as it's meant to be understood. And we can help you with that. But friends, what we have to do is we have to obey the whole Scripture, but we have to understand it properly. Number four, if you want to avoid hypocrisy, you have to constantly evaluate yourself in accordance to the Word and humbly change. Just as I said, you don't get to pick and choose what you believe out of the Bible, saying, I like that, I don't like that, have an a la carte meal, you know, it's a buffet, I like a little bit of this, but I don't like a lot of that. No, you don't get to say that to the Word. The Word gets to say that to you. When the Scripture looks at your life, it gets to say, I don't like that, I do like that. I don't like that, I do like that. You allow the Scripture to evaluate you. Verse 22, be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, the very nature of deception is that you don't know that you're being deceived. And so if you're sitting here thinking, oh, I've got my life under control, I am a doer of the word and not a hearer only, you could be wrong because you could be deceiving yourselves. So no one in here can stop listening to this part because you could be the best Christian in the world or you could be completely deceiving yourself into thinking that. Because the nature of deception is that you don't know it's happening. No one goes to a magic show because they understand how all of the tricks work. The nature of magic is the fun of it is that you don't know how it works. It's the deception of the moment. And so you could be deceiving yourselves. I could be deceiving myself. Hypocrites have themselves fooled. I don't know anyone who says, yes, I am a hypocrite. I don't know anyone who says that. Have you ever met anyone that not in a moment of repentance saying, I know I'm a hypocrite, God forgive me, but someone that's just like, yeah, I'm a hypocrite, I don't care. That's usually not the way that people handle this. They're deceived. They have deceived themselves. I love the illustration that James gives here. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away at once and forgets what he is like. The illustration is like this. I wake up one morning. It's 1999. I put on my 90s outfit uh, with my streak blonde hair with a spiked up like that. I look like a backstreet boy. I look myself in the mirror. I haven't taken a shower. There's a little bit of snot in my, in my beard. And I think, oh, that looks nice. And I walk away. And I forget what I saw. The illustration is, you know that it doesn't look good, yet you do not care. You walk away as if you have not seen yourself. When I digest the Word of God, when I allow it to be implanted into my heart, what actually happens is I come face to face with Jesus himself. And as I see Jesus' righteousness. I am confronted with my own unrighteousness in the way that I fall short of it. Because all of the Word, as you read the Word of God, it all points to Jesus. Every passage, as you get to the heart of it, points to Christ. And as I come to face to face with Christ, what I recognize as I read the Word that's been implanted in me is that He has love for someone 
with filthiness and wicked, with rampant wickedness, such as I. I see his love for me. I'm seen inside and out. I'm evaluated, seen completely, yet he still loves me. And this is the greatest motivation to obey him. I, the only way, friends, to become a regular doer of the word is to become a regular hearer of the word. But he's not critiquing hearing the word at all. He's saying you must allow that word to not just fall on your ears, to, but to be implanted into your heart. Church, I'm concerned because I think that many of us have taken this hearer, I want to be a doer, not a hearer, and we've decided that we ignore the hearing part. Are you opening yourself to hear it? I almost feel like I need to say, you guys need to hear the word. Because the reality is, the more we cannot be a doer of the word if we don't know what it says. We have to be students of the word, people of the word. I'm preaching to the choir at the moment. Thank you for being at church this morning so you can hear the word explained and preached to you. But friends, that's, that's not going to cut it in our life, in our world. Our desires are going to run out of control with us, and we must recalibrate our hearts back to the word. We need to be people of the word, studying the scriptures. We, we need to ask the Lord to give us a hunger to read our scriptures, because as we come face to face with Christ and his scriptures, he implants his word there, and he gives us a desire for the things of God, and he kills our desires for ourselves, the desires that lead us to the filthiness and the rampant wickedness, the desires that carry us all the way to death. As we read his word, we see Christ himself, and he implants his word in us, and it is a guide for our paths and a light for our feet. It helps us. It brings us comfort. It reminds us of his, of his love for us despite our failures. The word changes us because Christ changes us and we find him in his word. We must be people that don't only hear the word, but who do hear the word and allow the word to affect us. Now you can get a big head as you hear the word. You can have that master's degree and be a jerk. That's not the problem in our congregation more often than not. We must be a people who believe and who go to it, who are hungry for it day in and day out, who memorize it, who love it, who teach it, who speak it, who teach it to their children and who speak it to their friends, who are memorizing verses so that they can speak it more often, so that they can use it in situations when it comes up. Friends, let me ask you this. Have you met the real Jesus? Because he is to be found in his word. He has power to change your life. Maybe today you're realizing for the first time that you've followed a fake Jesus. One that says, get your act together, cleanse yourself, do the right thing. Friends, come to the real Jesus today who paid our penalty and washes us clean. Come to the real Jesus today who can be easily found. He is not far from any of us. He stands at the door knocking. And whoever will open the door, he will come in and he will eat with you. He will dine with you. He's there for a real relationship with you. But we must open ourselves. 
And friends, if he has cleansed you, if you do know that real Jesus, let's take off the old self, the old desires, and let's live for him completely. One way that we remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us is we participate in a sacred meal each week, a communion meal, where we're where the very nature of communion means I'm communing with God. And it's one of the ways that Christ has given us to remember what he has done for us. There's nothing magical about what we're doing. God is real, really with us at all times as Christians, but what we're doing here is remembering his death and doing it until he comes back. We're, we're, we're longing for him to return to earth one day. So let's, uh, let's stand as we pray and prepare to receive this meal. Father, we thank you for this meal. We thank you for giving us this remembrance of what you have done. And we pray that you will help us to become doers of your word, that you will help us to not be hearers only, but people who take your word and apply it to our hearts and who love it and allow it to change us. God, I thank you for this congregation. May we grow in love and may we put away our filthiness and rampant wickedness, the desires that lead us astray. God, help us to respond and to be renewed by the way that you have cared for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.